Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. The outcome was probably the best it could have been given the circumstances, but on Tuesday night, Bradley University was brought to a halt after Peoria police say a bomb threat was phoned into the university. The university was on lockdown for the better part of two hours while authorities investigated, later determining there was no bomb. We also don't know who called it in. Bradley University students have protested since then about how the investigation was handled and the fact there wasn't much they learned about the situation for two hours. 1470 and 100.3 WMBD cover the threat from start to finish Tuesday night, including bringing you a live news conference with Bradley University Police Chief Brian Joshko and Peoria Police Chief Eric Echevarria. Here now is the question and answer part of that news conference. Happy to answer any questions. So a lot of this can be chalked up to internet rumor too, but we had lots of parents posting saying their kids were telling that there was an intruder on campus, there was a bomb threat, there was an active shooter. Is there anywhere that that confusion came from or is that just panic talking? Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I haven't talked to any of, of those particular individuals. Um, I do know that we put down a, a lockdown process, so we have certain canned messages um, that we that we would implement to get people to stay within their facility, um, and we used one of those canned messages this evening to make sure that, that folks stayed where they were. Is a suspect? Uh, it, you know what? So the, this is still an ongoing active investigation. Uh, there's a number of different agencies involved uh, beyond the Peoria Police Department and the Bradley University Police Department, uh, including federal partners. Um, so at this point, we're not able to talk about any suspect information. What was the nature of the threat? Was it written, it, verbal? It was a phone call bomb threat. Okay. Was there, so, okay, so there was not a time where you thought it was anything except a bomb threat? Correct. Was there anything, and if you can't speak to this, is all right, was there anything discovered during the sweep? Suspicious bag? No, no, there was absolutely nothing suspicious. Um, I, I will tell you that, that the building had students in there. Uh, there were faculty in there as well. Uh, that particular facility on our campus is uh, far and away the, the largest building on our campus, and we have a number of students who, when they're not taking classes, use that facility to study. And so, um, you know, it, it is a, a pretty heavily used building, uh, so we had a lot of folks in that particular place. Um, we were met by a, a lot of uh, very calm uh, people uh, who, who were appreciative um, when they found, when, when they when they spoke with the officers and, and the when they were eventually escorted out of the building. What were the mindsets and moods of the students as you encountered them? I, you know, I, I think probably, I'm sure, shock um, as far as uh, description and, and such. So was it like to a specific building or a person? Correct. Yeah, it was, a, it was a person in a specific building. As far as procedure goes, outside of um, dogs coming into buildings, is there any other technology or procedures utilized in a situation like this? You know, so... Yeah, there's, there's a number of different things I, I think that, that we do, right? And so we, we can leverage some of the technology. That particular facility has a plethora of security cameras in it. It has uh, access control and locked doors, um, you know, it, it, including doors that, that send off alarms inside the building. And, and all of those types of things actually played an important role in helping us kind of figure out our threat and uh, and and the, the seriousness of it, um, and, and then being able to rely on the incredible resources that we have right here in Peoria, um, really 
were, were so beneficial. So not every community is, is blessed with a, with a police department like the Peoria Police Department that has um, a number of, of different uh, resources um, as far as the, the EOD uh, types of resources that they're able to bring uh, within really truly a moment's notice onto, onto a campus and, and be able to assist. Um, so yeah, there, there were kind of a, a number of different, different uh, technologies that were utilized. There's been, there's been concerns in other schools, both colleges and high schools, with swatting or the false threats. Uh, is that Was that something that you were concerned about, or have you been preparing for something like that type of a situation? Yeah, so so certainly all of us in, in law enforcement leadership are, are well read in on the, the threats that have been occurring kind of across this country. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, we've all participated in those, in, in, there's been webinars and telephone calls and conference calls and all sorts of things. So, so certainly that, that plays into it. Um, however, you, you don't know, right? I mean, there still are bad things that happen in this world and you have to be able to, to take those threats seriously and you have to be able to, to respond to those. And, uh, and today, I, I think, showed that it was a very professional, very reasonable, very responsive uh, response. And, and there were, I, I don't have a number of police officers that, that were there, um, but certainly dozens would be, uh, would be a good estimation. Can you both say what agencies respond? You mentioned federal partners. Yeah, so I do not have the, the laundry list of, uh, of, of resources. Do you happen to know, Chief? So with us uh, responded a uh, member of ATF. We had our, our SWAT team members here, members of our strategic initiative group, our special investigation division, if you will, uh, our criminal investigative division, and uh, negotiators and our explosive ordnance disposal member uh, teams. Uh, along with that, we're members of, of the command staff, which included the assistant chief and myself, uh, several lieutenants, and we had several canines that were on scene as well to be able to walk through the school uh, obviously, when we talk about technology, uh, the dog is not technology, but the dogs are trained to, to look for explosives. That's Peoria Police Chief Eric Echevarria. And then every call is essentially of a way to learn and develop new techniques and procedures. What are some of the lessons learned from tonight? Well, we haven't had a moment to debrief this, right? So uh, we still have uh, approximately 25 of my officers on scene here. Um, we'll be able to go back, debrief, look at what we could do better, what we could improve on, what did we do good. Uh, we'll, we'll probably have a debrief with uh, Chief Josco and his team at some point. Uh, but yes, we always take an opportunity to look, right? Did we, did we need to uh, sound the alarm earlier? Did we need to make some notifications earlier? Did we need to escort people out a certain way? Did we need to block off certain areas? Uh, right, because uh, there was a couple moments where the media showed up in the areas where we didn't need you. Right, so we need to look at all that because we want to keep right the public safe, but we also need to keep you safe. Uh, and if we're worried about keeping the media safe, we're taking attention away from places that we need to be. So those are all things and, and that we'll have to look at and and make sure we prepare for. Right, it's often hard to prepare for these situations. They're all very evolving. Uh, the buildings are all very different. Um, the officers, some of the officers on my team may not know the officers on his team, right? Uh, but we're here to help. Uh, uh, you know, Chief Josco had a situation on campus today. Uh, Peoria PD dropped whatever they needed to do. And we were here to help out and be of help and assistance wherever we were needed. Question for Chief uh, Joshko. Uh We talked to a student that said uh, after the alert went out that the order was just to stay in class and be locked down there. Can you talk about the thought process to have 
students just stay where they are, especially with a bomb threat on campus, and especially if they might be in the building where that supposed bomb threat could be? Yeah, so a absolutely. So, and I, I realize um, those that, that didn't have the information and certainly, um, you know, are in the dark are, are probably concerned or, or have questions about that. Um, but those decisions are all made uh, with the information that, that we have at, at at our hand at that given time. Um, and so it, it was a very intentional decision to, to have people stay where they were at. Um, we wanted to make sure that when we cleared that facility that we did it in a very systematic way. And again, part of that is because of the very specific threat that we had. So um, we, we did not want to just um, um, kind of willy-nilly go through this it had to be incredibly methodical in order to sweep that building. It is a, a very large complex building with a lot of specialty classrooms and specialty labs, um, a lot of nooks and crannies and places for people to be. So, so we had to do it very systematically and very controlled. Now, uh, you guys are doing your next steps, breaking out what you could have done differently, and I kind of just looking forward for the Bradley community, students that might have been affected. I know you said it was kind of a relaxed uh, vibe amongst the students, but any that are, are affected and might need a little help after this to feel better. What, what's available for them? Yeah, so great question, and, and so I, I certainly appreciate that. And, and I, there is no doubt that this is a traumatic event, and, and certainly um, it will be impactful for our students, and it'll be impactful for the, for our campus community, um, in, in not just you know tonight or tomorrow, but in the, the days and weeks ahead. Uh, so we have a number of resources on our campus. Uh, we have an on-campus uh, counseling center that's available 24 hours a day, um, 365 days a year, and so our students know how to get a hold of them. Uh, they can call into our dispatch uh, center on campus, and uh, from there uh, they can be transferred uh, to the to the counseling center um, who again is on call 24 hours a day uh, that's probably the, the best resource there and, and from them they can get uh, to additional resources what time did the first alert go out to the students after y'all received the call i believe it was 7 40 p.m it's about a 20 minute gap correct is there a reason why it's that long of a gap because it's like do y'all want to get here to assess the situation first and then let the kids right so, so again again it, it was a very thought through methodical plan, we wanted to make sure of of and assess what the specific threat was. Again, this was not just somebody that called up and said, "Hey, there's a bomb here," and hung up the phone. Um, it, it was much more elaborate and involved than that, and so we wanted to make sure um, that that the response was appropriate. So I, I think that that was really key. You can see all of our reporting from Tuesday night at wmbdradio.com. More Week in Review coming up. A big anniversary this week for a partnership between Peoria's OSF Healthcare and the University of Illinois College of Medicine campus in Peoria. It's been 10 years since OSF's Jump Trading and Simulation Center was opened. It helps advance medical technology while training medical students in it. On Friday, OSF marked the event with local and ministry leaders. My name is Michelle Conkert. I am the Chief Strategy Officer for OSF Healthcare, as well as the CEO for OSF On Call Digital Health. And thank you so much for joining us today as we celebrate 10 years of innovation here at um, Jump. OSF has had a long vision to lead the transformation in healthcare. We recognize that the current model of care in the U.S. is not sustainable and needs to address both affordability and accessibility in very new and different ways. The healthcare space, like many others, is facing unprecedented challenges. 
including new entrants into the industry, such as Amazon and Walmart, that have mastered the way to interact with people digitally. And all of our expectations about how we receive service have changed. The imperative for change is clear, and OSF has embraced that change and is leading that change right here um, at JUMP. Our journey began with the development of JUMP and a new vision to transform healthcare to improve the lives of those we serve. Since then, we've created an ecosystem and culture of innovation to solve problems in healthcare in a strategically focused way. Our incredibly rewarding example of our path from innovation strategy to new care model is the development of OSF On Call, a digital hub that has digitally cared for thousands of individuals through remote patient monitoring as well as expanded to create a digital hospital at home. And most recently, Fortune named OSF as one of America's most innovative companies for 2023. Very proud of that. I'm so proud of what we've achieved over the last decade, and I'm excited to see us lead the evolution of where we go next. Um, I'd like to welcome Dr. John Bozanelic to the stage, who will discuss many of our successes that we have made over the last 10 years. So, welcome, John. So, hello, I'm John Bozanelic. I'm Chief Medical Officer uh, here uh, for Innovation and Digital Health for OSF Healthcare. Uh, I really want to thank you to share in our excitement. Uh, today. This has been a wonderful journey for 10 years to serve a mission that is focused on uh, patient care, greatest care and love, and that's what we speak to every, every single day. So we know that when we come to work in this space, um, which was originally made by a $25 million gift from uh, a family that uh, benefited from compassion and competence here at St. Francis Medical Center, their first $25 million went into a simulation center that developed insight that helped us to promote innovation across our healthcare ministry. And all the while partnering with our mission partners here in the work that they do and with community partners and with the academic partners and subsequent gifts and philanthropists have brought tremendous opportunity, resources and connections. It's truly been a catalyst for OSF and it's created a revolution in the way we approach healthcare and the way we think about our work every single day. And since uh, 2013, when we first opened we, this building, which has six stories, we've developed uh, better partnerships and connections with health analytics, with our ventures team. These individuals bring us insights and bring us partners from our economic development community. We've also developed wonderful relationships with the University of Illinois College of Medicine here in Peoria, University of Illinois System, Bradley University, ISU, and UIC. It's been wonderful to be able to bring those academic partners to look at their clinical challenges every day, understand them well, and design and develop interesting things. So I have to tell you a few highlights about the special innovations that happen here. We've really transformed the way we look at complex surgical cases. Um, it started here in our Children's Hospital of Illinois with the faculty of the University of Illinois College of Medicine at Peoria who were helping to look at children's anatomy, these very complex little hearts that needed surgery in a new way. We started with 3D printing, but we suddenly realized that virtual reality was going to transform our ability to provide solutions at scale. And in our future now, we transition to complex surgical cases for oncology, especially important as we are developing OSF's Cancer Institute here. The partnerships with our academic teams um, have been enlivened and enriched. 
they see opportunities, they look at problems in new ways, uh, and it brings us tremendous value. And over time, that value then comes into our communities with new businesses and the ability to recruit and retain the best and brightest to central Illinois. And that, for me, is where it all comes. And all of this is a foundation based on that legacy, the legacy of innovation, our sister's mission, which inspires every single one of us to think of the service first and how our individual work actually advances their health and wellness and the health and wellness of our communities. So I want to uh, tell you that this building has seen a journey, uh, a little story. Here we were developing ideas and concepts around social determinants of health and ways to connect to our patients. And then the pandemic struck. And because of the rich environment here, the types of people who were, became uh, regularized to the understanding of problems in new ways and new partnerships, look at each facet of problems, we were able to change this entire center into a pandemic hub. And we served out patient care through telehealth in a remarkable and novel way. The entire auditorium, which you'll see in your tour today, was converted into a service center. And there were clinicians and doctors in each of these rooms taking care of patients across Illinois. We were eventually awarded significant funding from the state. And from that initial funding, uh, over $66 million, we were able to really emerge from COVID with an on-call service and telehealth services that are, is actually being able to transform healthcare access and service across central Illinois. We're really excited to share this all with you today, the development of our innovation labs. I really invite you to partake in each of the brilliant investigators and their inventions that are all throughout this bu the, the building here today. And I wanna tell you, um, we're, we're, we're just awestruck by the great work that Bradley has done to appreciate the economic impact to our community. And to that end, I'd like to invite uh, Professor Josh Luer, the Department Chair of Economics and Finance at Bradley University, who will come up and tell you all about the economic impact study that Bradley has taken. Thank you. Good morning. Hello, I'm Joshua Luer. I'm the Department Chair of the Economics and Finance Department at Bradley University. And I'm here to share with you the results of my team's research showing how JUMP has financially impacted our community. The JUMP Trading Simulation Education Center has had a significant impact over the decade on our economy and our non-economics in the region that we serve. When the sixth floor facility opened, we initially forecast the center to have $30 million of economic benefit over the first five years of its opening. And today we look back 10 years later, we see that we underestimated that and JUMP has overshot these numbers and more. From an economic standpoint, the facility has generated income and spending through Illinois and beyond by creating jobs and commerce, uh, medical education and training and generated research and grant activities, which you can see here today. According to our analysis, it's estimated the economic benefits of the ongoing operations and the build out of th floors three and four of this facility are substantial. Over the 10 year ramping period from 2013 to 2022, JUMP's operations enhanced economic activity by over $103 million and created over 600 jobs, full-time jobs. For sure. Um, not done yet. Um, we went back and looked at the 
initial construction of the building. Um, the, the skeleton from 2012 to 2013. And if you consider that construction, uh, the total economic impact jumps from 103 million to $180 million with 1,000 jobs since its beginning. So substantial. It's important to note that Jump has not yet approached its long run full operating capacity. There's two more floors, as John would say. These numbers will only continue to improve through time. So in conclusion, it's our research team's belief that Jump has demonstrated its strength as an economic engine for the communities that it serves. More of the 10th anniversary celebration of OSF Healthcare's Jump Trading and Simulation Center with more Week in Review coming up. We continue now with a celebration held on Friday marking the 10th anniversary of OSF Healthcare's Jump Trading and Simulation Center. Hello, my name is Lisa Pierce and I am the Vice President of Advanced Practice for OSF Healthcare and I'm going to share with you how the impact of Jump has extended beyond the finances to our learners and our communities. In 2016, our team developed an advanced practice provider fellowship for new nurse practitioners and physician assistants who were entering into their first job in practice. As we built the program, we collaborated with JUMP to embed simulation throughout as a way to not only assess the learners, but also to introduce the challenging uh, encounters that we know they're gonna experience in clinical practice. As a part of the program, the fellows come to JUMP every week where they experience in-seat simulation and procedural skills, and they have the ability to practice everything from an ingrown toenail to delivering a really difficult diagnosis to a patient. As the program has evolved over the years, the relationships that our team has developed with JUMP, the uh, simulation specialists, the engineers, and even the standardized participants themselves who play the role of the patients, we have continued to improve our program's quality. When our faculty has a new idea uh, for something that we can do to enhance our fellowship program, we know that all we need to do is reach out to JUMP, and that team will work with us to see if something already exists, and if it doesn't, they will help us to create either a new simulation or even a training model so that we can provide the most realistic training experience for our fellows. Once completed, our fellows leave our program with the ability to critically think and manage patients with increased confidence in their clinical and professional skills. And ultimately, they are prepared to provide independent care to the most complex and vulnerable patients within our OSF communities. Thanks to our partnership with JUMP, we have trained nearly 100 fellows in seven different specialties. OSF Healthcare was the first system to receive accreditation for our fellowship program, and we are recognized nationally by our peers as an innovative program. I am incredibly proud of what we have been able to achieve with the help of JUMP over the last seven years, and I look forward to continuing to extend this program into new specialties to ultimately continue to train our next generation of advanced practice providers. Next up is Chris Setti, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Greater Peoria Economic Development Council, who will speak to JUMP's overall regional and state impact. I wanted to kind of maybe put the impact of JUMP in context to our region and, and quite frankly to our state, and the, the numbers speak for themselves. And Dr. Lure's report 
uh, maybe proves to us what we already could kind of feel about the importance, um, not just of Jump, but of OS of Innovation and where it sits within this ministry and how important that is to economic development. Healthcare is increasingly an important part of our, uh, of what we even think of when we think about quality of life and how important it is to our region's economic futures. Uh, 17, just over 17% of everybody who has a job in the Peoria metropolitan area works in healthcare and social assistance. That's just over 30,000 jobs. So you could just see how important that is. But really what is, what's great about OSF innovation is about differentiation. And so as we're working to improve the economy and business prospects in greater Peoria, we're always looking for differentiation. And what can we say? And, and quite frankly, every community our size and bigger has a hospital. And in healthcare is gonna be important to them. But what we have here is differentiated services and something that can attract people here. And what OSF Innovation really is, is a generator of economic progress. How are we uh, building those partnerships as Dr. Vazanella had talked about with ISU and Bradley University and UIUC? And how are we creating new products, new processes, and then how are we commercializing that? And that's what's really exciting to me as a guy who's been doing economic development in this community for nearly 20 years, um, is to see the future of that. And some of these great things that you see in this room, uh, that's what's really important. And so my thanks to the sisters, to the, to the leadership at OSF. Uh, it is an incredible, I can't believe it's been 10 years. I remember walking through this when I worked at the city of Peoria and with a hard hat on and just seeing that this was just a dream. Uh, and to think that it's 10 years now makes me just realize how old I am. Uh, but I really do appreciate this. I'm going to turn this over to uh, Becky Buchan, who is the Senior Vice President uh, for OS Innovation. So thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Um, I'm Becky Buchan, Senior Vice President, Innovation, um, OSF Healthcare. And I certainly want to thank all of you um, for being here today. What we've shared with you today um, is really just a fraction of the many accomplishments that we've made over the years and um, that has impacted the Peoria area and our surrounding communities. But I also want you to know we're far from done. With the foundation that we've laid this past decade and the leadership of the Sisters of the Third Order of St. Francis, we are in a position to lead change, to handle the new challenges facing healthcare, and to care for our patients in a way that we may never have imagined. Envision waking up and checking your vitals as you look into the mirror each day. Imagine a robot inserting your IV. Or picture artificial intelligence being used to predict your health risks and recommend preventative measures. While some of what we've shared might be hard for us to imagine, you may be surprised to hear that the seeds have already been planted for these concepts to become a reality. We are exploring predictive models that will better locate the location of lung metastasis that will result in better outcomes for our patients. Um, OSF is also investigating the use of precision medicine, um, technologies um, currently that exist today that will provide personalized and targeted treatment for our patients. We hope that you are as excited as we are and about the possibilities and will follow us in this continued journey to advance the care that our sisters have envisioned. And we thank you for being here today. More Week in Review coming up. A Peoria man is taking on what could very well be an important task ahead of Memorial Day coming up, thanks in part to a local VFW chapter. WMBD's Craig Collins talked with him 
and the VFW chapter. A buddy of mine is in studio, Eric with the VFW. How are you doing, buddy? You're doing great. How about yourself? Good. Very good. It was cool to be there yesterday and to talk to some of the artists behind some of 22 VA and what they got going on and then actually some other people and you guys even had... Uh, a flute lesson that was going yeah, on? Yeah, we have our Flutes for Vets happening on mm -hmm. Thursdays. Yeah, Native American flutes that they can play and learn how to play. It's like an eight-week thing. You learn how to do it, and then, boom, you graduate a course. Do you get a diploma for that, by the way? Actually, he does present. <laughs> That's amazing. Brings out a nice certificate. That's takes awesome. his photo. We have a photo wall where the graduates get the picture posted. That's awesome. Uh, you've brought in a friend of yours today. Uh, his name is John Miller-Ross. Uh, John, you have a unique ask of our community, of our listeners, and a really great reason that you're doing it. Uh, the social media page is Honor Their Sacrifice, Facebook.com, Honor Their Sacrifice. What's the cause? What's the thing you're trying to get done? So we're trying to get all the veterans' graves cleaned um, by Memorial Day. Um, it's, it's a big task right now. Um, there's approximately anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 graves. Um, right now I'm just currently working on Soldier's Hill. Yeah, wow. Yeah, this is at uh, Springdale Cemetery is where you're doing a lot of this work. Um, uh, some interesting things about this as far as the desire to do it. Uh, first and foremost, how you landed on that moment, how you decided that this is something you wanted to do. It was because you did an ancestry thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I um, did an ancestry, and so in the midst of doing all that, I wanted to find out where my family was buried and um, – ended up finding that a bunch of them were actually uh, buried at Springdale Cemetery, approximately 70 wow. that are buried there. And um, I couldn't find one of my grandfathers that's buried in the military section. So I wanted to start cleaning them. And when I got done with his, I started uh, cleaning the rest of them. So, um, you, I, you, so you clean your, your grandfather's uh, headstone uh, because it's too difficult to even read. It's yes. that dirty and it's been kind of neglected for that long. And then you're standing there having fully cleaned. Did you even put a flag on that one? Yeah. So I take a 15-inch piece of PVC and I uh, pound it into the ground. And then I put an 8 by 12 American flag right next to each stone. So wow. every veteran has a flag uh, to represent and you're them. And you're just doing this by yourself right now. This Currently just, it's by myself, yeah. yeah. You're yeah. showing up at the Springdale Cemetery. You've got the cleaning supplies. You can't power wash these things because you actually break them. Yeah. So yeah. the whole process for cleaning one is like 40 minutes or something like that? Yeah, it goes anywhere from 45 minutes um, as low as 15 minutes, depending on how severe they are. Okay. And you just clean your grandfather's and you look at it and you think it's it looks like great. And you're like, man... Uh, there's a lot of other ones. Let me just keep going. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I, I talked to the um, the manager at Springdale and asked him if I can continue to clean them, and uh, he gave me the go ahead. What did he did he like say it sort of thrilled? And you're like, man, I just kind of want to clean all these gravestones. You're like, yeah, yeah sure, he, man. He was he um, he was excited. Um, they actually sure. had another lady that came in previously uh, prior to me. Wow. And was doing them, but I guess she had some family stuff that she had to deal with. Gotcha. So she couldn't do it anymore. Anymore. And so I came in after all this. And, and you've not served in the military, but because no. you have a family connection to military, you find it to be a pretty important. And I totally agree with you. A bunch of my family are Marines. My grandfather was in the Army. Um, your goal is to get every single one of the military graves cleaned by Memorial Day, so you have a month to do yes, this. Yes, And you'd love some help. Is another thing I, you're I saying? I would love yeah. some help. Anyone out there that would like to do something for even just like a day uh, to help out and to help John not spend every day from now until Memorial Day in uh, Springdale Cemetery cleaning these things, uh, you're actually asking for people to show up on May 6th. Is that right? 
right? That's correct. Okay, from 10 o'clock to 4, you'll yep. be out there. You'll have chemicals for more people. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go. My wife Betty's going to go. I think Eric will probably be there. Are you going to be there for that? You're going to be hanging may, out? May, yeah, okay. I might be If you there. got the time, you're going to swing by. Sure. But anyone and everyone that wants to go, uh, you, again, can reach out to Honor Their Sacrifice on Facebook. Or you can just reach out to me, facebook.com slash Greg Collins Show, and we'll set that up. I think it's really cool that that is your goal, to, to share the feeling you got from your own family members, you know, gravestone being cleaned, by doing it for everyone within that cemetery that served uh, within our military. And that, it sounds like you're the kind of guy that's probably going to go beyond uh, Springdale Cemetery once you get them all done there. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, so see, he, this that's... is almost an obsession now, all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. for John. Yeah, so eventually I wanted to branch out to the, the smaller cemeteries. Springdale's the biggest cemetery around. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, they're sitting on approximately 225 acres. So wow. There's, it's a lot of land. Uh, 3014 North Prospect Road in Peoria. Again, I'll be talking about this all next week, too, leading up to when you do this on May 6th. But if people want to go and they want to coordinate with either you, John, or with me, find us on our social media pages. Uh, just one question for Eric, since you're in studio on this. How does the VFW get involved? How do you wind up connecting with John? How does that whole story well, happen? John, John was sent to us by one of our, our regular uh, customers to ask for some a little bit of financial assistance. Uh, he was needing some help with the purchase of the chemicals that are needed and some of the cleaning supplies. Sure. Um, I asked him to do his homework so I could present that to the membership. Um, he did his homework and then some, was able to do a nice presentation to the membership. For us, it was a no-brainer. I mean, we're going to support veterans uh of course. Services, things like that. So, and this was just a good thing for a good fit for us. How moved were you as someone who served in our military when you hear that John uh, has this just passion to do this? I'm moved every time he sends me a picture, to be honest with I, you. Dude, I, I can't. It's, it's crazy. I can't tell you. So, on the Facebook page, this is something that I highly recommend people just go and look at is the before and after photos that you're putting up. Uh, you literally cannot read some of these um, uh, gravestones at all. And then all of a sudden, it looks so much better when it's cleaned and you have the flag sitting there, too. It's it's really moving. And so, honestly, um, thank you for coming on and chatting about it, dude. And, and best of luck to you getting this done. No, thank you. Hanging out with Eric from the VFW, who's a, a buddy of mine now. And then actually John, who I just met today, uh, but has a really great cause that you're trying to get some help with, honor their sacrifice. Uh, you're trying to clean all of the graves of military veterans uh, at the Springdale Cemetery, trying to get this done by Memorial Day, uh, May 6th. They'll be talking about this a lot more. Is a day where I'm going to go, my wife's going to go, John's going to probably have already lived there for a week and a half by that point, <laughs> and eventually we're going to try to get them all done. And we'd love your help, too. Uh, Facebook.com slash Greg Collins Show to reach out to me or honor their sacrifice on Facebook, too, to reach out directly to John. Uh, Eric, I did want to talk to you about another thing. And I honestly, I don't know. Uh, how much of this, you know, um, if you're uh, someone who's listening to this and it's the kind of thing that's, that's tough to, to hear, maybe even some veterans that are listening to this, um, I, I, I don't know. But I feel like I just have to share some of the experience yesterday at the VFW, and I wanted to sure. talk to you about it too. So you have 22 VA in the back, which is veteran art. And then you also have that, and I know we just mentioned it briefly, the flute class, which is for veterans. It's totally right. free, right? That's absolutely correct. For okay. veterans, it's free. So veterans can show up, learn how to play a Native American flute. It's like an eight-week process. They graduate the course. They get a diploma and a free flute, uh, by the way. <laughs> right. And there, there's something cathartic that you're getting from learning how to play an instrument or learning how to play music together with other vets. You know what's interesting to me? is that when veterans get together, they want to do something else. They don't just want to be together. <laughs> right. It seems like there's another, like, we got to do something when we're all uh, together. Um, and so that's just a couple examples. 
Um, but how often do you find that conversations like the one, and I'll get into it in a second, that we had yesterday with Randy just happen for people that go in, maybe have a drink at the bar and wind up talking to somebody that they're sitting next to? Yeah, it happens uh, a little more frequently now that we have the uh, the 22 VA in the back. Sure. And the other thing is people understand the 22, what it means. That's to signify the 22 veterans that take their lives every day. Yeah. And then that's where they came up with that 22 veteran art. Yeah. Uh, just that's one thing that people don't understand what that 22's from. But, yeah, now that we have the uh, the art display in the back, and people come down and now looking at the display, if they happen to see a veteran or an artist that's there, they're seeing more and more interaction and finding out stories behind what they're actually trying to portray in their artwork. Yeah, and uh, Randy, who has a bunch of great art there, including one portrait that people need to see, it's actually two things he put together. So he made the first mm -hmm. part of the portrait of him in the jungle. He paints moments of war is what he does. All of his art is something he actually lived, which is sort of insane, sort of like, you know, I don't know what the right word is for it. When you stare at it as somebody like me who's never been in a situation like that and realize that that's not an artistic um, thing per se. That's a real thing. It's just not a photo version of it. Um, but then he put a second um, uh, painting on top of it that actually has a tiger that literally passed him in the jungle. And the way in which this guy, Randy, talked about it is, is insane. I got to be honest, too. And I, again, that's probably not the right word for it because it, it sounds so terrifying to me. But then he's like, yeah, and then this tiger just passed me in the jungle. Uh, just, you know, I'm sitting there. I got my gun. I'm waiting for the enemy. And then uh, a tiger looks at me and I look at him and we're both like, all right, man, I'll leave you alone. And so there's, there's something about people talking about those moments, though, and seeing it represented on the wall that seems cathartic. Uh, can you tell me why that is for veterans, uh, the, the release of, I guess, the experience or even the, the conversation uh, has some kind of benefit? Sure. I, I, can, I can speak for myself. I can't speak for all the veterans because each of them have their different ways sure. of dealing with stuff. Uh, just like the gentleman we talked to last night, his artwork has more presentation of calming and, and relaxation. Yeah. Because that's what he wants to, to get out. He wants to start understanding a feeling of relaxation. Whereas Randy, Randy wants to, you know, relieve all of his things that he's seen and the tragedy that he's seen in his eyes. And remember, Randy was only probably 19, 20 years old when this all happened. Wow. So at a young age, he's had to deal with that for 30, 40 years now. And, and now can actually come to terms with that, that, you know, that's just the way it is when you're in war. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at WMBDRadio.com. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD Radio News.